It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You're listening to BGN Radio. Thrown out to the far side of the bubble screen and running in for the touchdown is Jeremy Macklin. Right here on bleedinggreennation.com. Fueled by Duncan Philly. And part of the Liberty Broadcast Network. We have uh, made it on down to episode number 82. It is a uh, post-Super Bowl party uh, in this, John. And uh, we are going to, uh, you know, have some fun with it. Talk some Eagle stuff. Finally, uh, say hello to Mr. Ed Manowitz. He has uh, finally been promoted and announced. And I guess that means uh, the Eagles won't have a real GM. But uh, we'll touch on that. Uh, We'll touch on uh, what we thought of the Super Bowl, what it will take for the Eagles to get there. Plus, we have a ton of guests lined up couple of uh, draft prospects and uh, also a, uh, a sports agent that we are going to sit and talk to and definitely uh, worth the wait as we're going to get into a bunch of different draft stuff as well as we welcome in uh, finally after uh, getting his head out of the out of papers and out of the office. Mr. Matt Daring from our Eagles joins us uh, back here uh, on BGN Radio. What's happening, my friend? How are you? John, I just woke up from a two-week nap. <laughs> and, uh, of course, Mike Kay uh, checking in with us, uh, as always, his beautiful self. What's going on, Mike? A two-week nap sounds really nice. We yeah. could all use that. But, uh, yeah, Mike, I mean, uh, initial thoughts about the, the crazy uh, Super Bowl. I thought it was, like, honestly, I thought it was one of the best I've seen in in, uh, in quite a long time, or at least it's up there. Um, crazy ending. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how they just don't hand it off to Marsh on there, but it was still a good play regardless. We'll get into that, but. Just your overall thoughts on uh, on what happened uh, in the Super Bowl. It was a fun watch. I mean, I, I enjoyed it much more than I did last year when there was a blowout. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd probably put it in my top three, um, which is kind of weird because I could care less about both teams. I couldn't care less about both teams. <laughs> so, um, you know, that last play was incredible, and you kind of had to do a double take after it. I thought the commercials in general were very, very good. 
um, unless you're talking about nationwide and getting depressed. And, you know, I mean, I thought it was a memorable night. You know, I, Katy Perry had it right. I, I used to dream of, of like, shark, dudes in shark costumes when I was a teenager. So good on you, Katy Perry. <laughs> I was pretty satisfied. I think the last couple of the Super Bowls have been sort of disappointing. I mean, we had a, we had a stretch there. Well, you know, we had um, last year was awful. The year before that was really not that fun. And then we had those two Super Bowls in a row where it was just like a tale of two games where one team couldn't do shit for the one, the first half and then the other team couldn't do shit for the second half. And it was just a race to see who could not lose that game. And, you know, that was that was how they were. Um, and I think this is probably the best one I've seen since, since um, uh, 2008, the Steelers-Cardinals game. That was probably... I mean, that's always the tops of the list. I think this one's right up there. Yeah, I, I, uh, I was saying the only one that I think that beat it out uh, still for me is uh, Bill's Giants, uh, Super Bowl 25. I thought that was the wide, uh, you know, the Norton or uh, Norwood uh, wide right. Uh, but other than that, I mean, uh, the only other thing that was going through my head, fellas, was uh, don't uh, I, I don't I don't see the point in drafting, uh, trying to fix the secondary through the draft. I, re- I really don't. Um, I mean, you look at the three of the four starters there. Other than McCourty, I mean, they they bought Revis, uh, they bought everybody else uh, that came into there, um, and you know, I don't know uh, what is the what do you think is the the magic formula for the Eagles to to get in there uh, next year, Mike, um, or not even next year, just like you know, whenever. Well, How no, I, mean, I think I think they need to keep building towards their philosophy. Like you know, I, I if in case you don't remember during the draft, I was okay with the Marcus Smith pick because it was they were building towards you know, what they preach. They're practicing what they preach. And I think they just need to continue to do that. That's the only way Chip Kelly is going to win. And, you know, that's how he feels he's going to win. So I just think you need to just follow your own philosophy, whether that's drafting a big corner in the first round or a big corner in the fifth round, uh, whether it's trading up to get Mariota. If they believe that he's the guy, good for them. And that's, that's what they do. I just think they have to stay the course. That's pretty much the way to do it. I think this team has the ability to win a championship down the road. I think they need Tom Brady. Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I, um, I agree with Mike. I think that I think that we need is, is some more consistency. I think we need good ideas applied rigorously. As and you know, I we talk about ideas like this a lot. But basically, you know, you want to take you want to take like some some smart some smart basic ideas, and you need to make sure that people are following them. So I think in our case, it's it's sports science. It's believing in tempo, and it's um. You know, taking advantage of mismatches. These are all pretty simple ideas, but you need to apply them rigorously. I think um, if you want to, if you want to take a better advantage of that, you need to go out and make sure that you draft guys who are willing to stay the course, who are you know have that sort of fitness to keep up with the tempo, and you know are able to take advantage of mismatches, whether it be because they create them or whether it be because they can identify them. I think that that's the, the going to be the key to success. Uh, with Chip Kelly, I, I, I was even looking today, and the, the whole thing between—I I don't know—first round defensive backs just in general scare me. And I know with Matt, they they scare him, especially when it becomes a safety position, because that's even uh, that's even a narrow margin. I mean, you just go back and look at from 2000 to 2014, and who's been in there and who's really hit and who hasn't. It's drastically different than you know. I guess in the, in a in a way, do, do, does safety? Do do cornerbacks? How much do they really impact the game, and how much would it really impact the Eagles, Mike? I mean, like you know, it just it, to me when you 
when you have, uh, unless you are literally getting a shutdown corner, which I think there's only three of those guys in the league, and maybe you guys can help me out there, but I mean, how how much does that really impact you? How much does a wide receiver versus a cornerback, you know, impact? All right, well, we talked about being candid, so I will start off. Um, you know, if you're going to keep two shitty corners, uh, you need to have good safeties and vice versa. If you've got two shitty safeties, you need two really good corners. That unit has to work in unison because, you know, you saw the Super Bowl last night. Earl Thomas really didn't have that good of a game. Um, and, you know... It, how dare the, you? <laughs> the, the Patriots were able to plan around him, and that's what happens. If you have three out of your four defensive backs being very good, it's tough to plan around that. You know, um, I think the Seahawks losing lane, uh, you know, in, at nickel hurt them as well. I think you have to have depth, and that's important. But drafting a, and I'll take this point from you that you made off air, drafting um a safety early in a crappy safety draft is not a good idea. So you're pressing there, but, but waiting on a really good running back in a great class, you have to find a guy that'll do everything you want for, from that perspective. Like you, you look at a guy like Amir Abdullah, who's awesome, who could essentially be a Sproles, a Sproles guys type player, but he can't block. So, okay, let's draft him, and then we have to teach him how to block. He doesn't fit our philosophy. Everybody needs to block, run block in order, run block and pass block in order to be on the team. Okay, let's look at a guy like Tevin Coleman, who's a proficient blocker. Uh, yeah, he struggles a little bit in short yardage, but everything outside of that, he's basically shady with a little bit less shake. I mean, you've got you've to gotta do what's best by you. You can't just be like, oh, well, there's seven really good running backs. We'll take one in the fourth round who, oh, he's just a downhill runner, and that's pretty much all he can do. But he's great at downhill running, you know what I mean? So uh, for me, you know, people could say something like running backs are a dime a dozen and they need to grab offensive linemen or inside linebackers or whatever, but it's it's historically proven that you can get really good inside linebackers and really good offensive linemen down later in the draft and even undrafted, uh, you know, you look at guys like uh, Todd Harriman's Todd Harriman's, I believe was a fourth round pick. Um, you know, Jason Kelsey was a sixth round pick. There's even history on the team of showing that Matt Tobin started some games and he was an undrafted free agent and Jason Peters went undrafted. So you're looking at guys that, that are easy to fill as much as running backs are a dime a dozen. There's five, maybe six really good running backs in the league, and that's a problem for a lot of teams. I'd say every outside of maybe 10 teams, everybody needs a running back, at least a good rotational one or a starter. And so, you know, the Eagles are getting up there with Shady's contract. Shady's about to be 27. It, it's a serious time to talk about upgrading that position. You look at wide receiver. I would rather take a really good wide receiver than a mediocre safety or a mediocre corner because you're not getting better that way. You're just getting more of the same. And, you know, Matt, I almost feel like I, I feel like you could make the argument that safety is also a diamond doesn't. I mean, there 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 is it is so hard to upgrade that position. And and yet, like there's there's so many. I don't know. Does anybody outside of the two teams that we played or that played last night that you can think of off the top of your head that has, a, you know, a one two safety combination or a, a one two cornerback? Uh, you know, a team. Is there anybody else out there? I can't think none that pop into my head. No, I can't really think of any either. Um, I don't really, I don't know. Safety is not, it's not my favorite. I don't really know how important it is. I feel like um, 
well, I, I've made my feelings clear that I think that people here think a lot of safety is important because a lot of us saw Brian Dawkins and the effect that he could have on a game. Um, but Brian Dawkins was a was a confluence of a lot of things, and one of those things was the fact that he was really, really good. But, um, you know, I, and I sort of feel like there's a larger sort of point to be made about how um, people think that Brian Dawkins was really good because, um, and you know, that safety is important because if it is, if he if he wasn't really good and safety isn't important, then it means McNabb wasn't good. But that's a conversation for another day. Uh, sorry, it means that McNabb was actually good, but that's a conversation <laughs> for another day. Um, I think that, um, you know, you look around. Yeah, I don't think you really do see that. I mean, we saw like, like some people might reflexively be like, oh, the Cardinals, you know, the Cardinals, they have that feared secondary. But, you know, the Cardinals were pretty bad this year. Especially um, their pass defense. Yeah, their pass defense was was awful. They were they excelled at forcing turnovers and uh, run defense, but you know they were at least you know by the time we played them they were thirty second in the league. Uh, Patrick Peterson got penalized twenty times or something. You know this is not a that 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 uh that that backfield might have a lot of um, big names, but I don't really think they played all that well as a unit, um, which is good because their coach got hired by the Jets. But you know again that's neither that neither here nor there. I just don't really think that this is a a feasible path to the Super Bowl. Um, and I sort of think that there's like a there's like a saliency thing here at work because you look back and you think back at all these all time great defenses. Now, okay, John, let's let's play a little game. Can you name an all time great defense for me? Sure. Let's go with the, the an old favorite, the eighty five Bears. All right, can you name a couple of players from the '85 Bears? Uh, Richard Dent. Nope. I mean, how about Mike Singletary? How can I forget big guys? Yeah, you got yeah the Samurai. Yeah, yeah, you got big guys. So each of these each of these defenses has like three Hall of Fame players in them. You know, roughly. You look back at like um the the one Ravens, or you look back at the the Buccaneers. You know, all these defenses have like a ton of like a couple of guys that are just like unbelievably good. But if you're if your draft strategy, if you're going to come to me and say my draft strategy is to draft three Hall of Fame players in the next two years, I will say, <laughs> okay, let's do it. I'm on board. But I don't really think that that's like something you can really plan on. Uh, but I think you you turn around and you look at these really good offenses, and you know, so so you know, think about the uh, the Saints from a couple of years ago. Uh, who was on that team? Drew was Brees, on offense. Drew Brees and uh, a couple of wide receivers that probably, you know, yeah, Marcus Marquis Colston. Uh, yeah, yeah, Colston. Yeah, that's that's good. Uh, you know, I don't know. Yep, Drew Brees uh, is in the Hall of Fame. Bell, what else you got? Prime. Um, but that's pretty much like if I had to think of like like Hall of Fame guys. And I wouldn't even put Vilma in that discussion at all. But I'm just saying, if I had to, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. Like you bring up who is a game-breaking offensive players on both sides of the ball last night? Who are some? Who are the, who are the names? That, Gronkowski, uh, Russell Wilson, Tom Two, Brady. Three. Uh, Julian Edelman turned himself into oh, one hell, but he's not a Hall of Fame. That's, uh, what I'm saying is, I just. What's the two things that stick out in those in those two offenses? Is all I'm saying. Is all I'm saying. Quarterback and, and, and yeah, tight end. And, and, yeah, Gron- I mean, like Gronk is is probably w- will go down as he stays healthy as one you know one of the best. Both of those wide receiving cores are you know whatever. So I mean, obviously you, you can do it either way, but quarterback making those guys look better and you know I guess it was kind of Andy Reid's philosophy too. It just didn't work out that well because you know Donovan's not one of those guys, or maybe he is. I don't know. Um, but well, yeah, I think, but I think that these defenses, they end up being a lot more salient because you can look back and you can be like, we just got to be like, you know, those Buccaneers, you know, they had Warren Sapp, they had, um, they had Derek Johnson, they had, um, you know, um, Ronde Barber. It's sorry. Yeah. Derek Brooks. Yeah. They had Derek uh, Brooks. 
John had, Lynch. Yeah, Rondé Barber. They had John Lynch. They had all these guys. You just go back yeah. and um, uh, okay, yeah, thank you, Mike. So, <laughs> so you know, this is the sort of thing you can go back and you can just be like, here's a, you know, here's like a crap ton of guys. I'm going to dump them all over you. We just need to get those guys. And for whatever reason, this seems like this is like a better point. When I think this makes it like a much worse point, because I don't see any guys like that just hanging around. Um, I see guys who I think could be that, you know, one of them. Yeah. And then you just have to do it. You have to do it over and over and over again. And you have to do it more than once per year. And I don't know if that's really all that feasible. Whereas you just go back and you look at these these really good offenses. And what do they have? They usually have like a good left tackle and they'll have a really good quarterback. Um, you know, and occasionally you'll end up with like a, like the Seahawks of the early 2000s with Sean Alexander and, you know, Walter Jones, where, you, you know, you sort of are changing the paradigm a little bit because who did they have a quarterback? They had no one. Yeah, but to your to your po- to your guys's point, you know, you talk about three to four Hall of Famers on a team. Who currently on the Eagles is a Hall of Famer outside of Peters, or even in that discussion? That's what I'm trying to. To me, there's a lot of work to be done, but that doesn't sure. mean that. I mean, it's Peters is the only. Well, guy that, I mean, we could get, we could get started on like we could get started on like the way too early Hall of Fame, and we can talk about how like. Um, I mean, Fletcher Cox is unbelievable. He is unbelievable, but that, I, to me, he's still got a couple of more years of doing that at a high level before you're yeah. even looking at it. I mean, Jason Peters, Jason Peters, once he retires, everyone will consider him a future Hall of Fame. Um, but outside of that, what? who are you looking at that could be that potential guy? I mean, Macklin had a nice year last year, but he's not a game breaker. That's the thing, too, that upsets me about this offense. You look at at what Shady and Macklin have done and what Sproles did. But outside of that, how many breakaway players do they have on this team? I mean, if Macklin would have gotten injured, there's no way this team even sniffs the playoffs. So that's why you need to upgrade wide receiver. You need to upgrade running back. I mean, if Shady went down, you're relying on Chris Polk and and Darren Sproles. Good luck, bro. That's all (laughs) I'm saying. Like, there needs to be... Depth is extremely important, and if anything, whether it showed at a different position or not, the Seahawks losing lane last night showed their depth, and their depth was not very good. So keep building a winner. You cannot To keep building a winner, you have to continue to get richer at the same positions that you're already rich at. Creating, a, you know, taking a weakness to a strength doesn't always work out. I mean, you look at the Eagles uh, trying to do that with cornerback, and look how that turned out. You know what I mean? And then now they've got a weakness that they could look at making a strength again. I guess I'm rambling, but that's, <laughs> I, that's all I'm saying. No position should be out of, out of the question, except for maybe defensive line, which the Eagles defensive line is absolutely epic, but even there, I wouldn't complain. Yeah. I, I just think there's, <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of different ways to kind of look at everything and, and, and what you would be comfortable with and everything else. But, um, I guess the overall thing is is just don't screw it up, and I think there's there's a lot of people, and I know Mike's a, a, a big one of that, Dave Mangles as well, and I don't know, I'm kind of fifty fifty on the whole thing, but I I know that this front office stuff will probably screw this draft up, however however it is, you know whether that's whether you know I mean it's gonna be on it's gonna be on chip the rest of the way, so I guess if you have to uh, blame him for any of the mistakes that are gonna come up now, but. I don't know. I just, that's why I don't think this year, and maybe even next year, it's going to be a, it's going to be a really bumpy a bumpy ride, uh, especially if they're you know hanging around the twenties. And uh, despite the bad draft picks, they're still a good team. And I don't know. I I, I just I hope it doesn't get ke- keep getting caught into the 
that awful 18 to 24 range where you're just kind of cycling and doing the same things again. Because at that point, that's why I don't really care if you lose six draft picks. Because, I mean, like there, you're either going to continually wait on whatever it is you're looking for and miss uh, and, you know, just go go and get your guy. That's all. I, I, I'm always coming back to that. Just, just don't yeah, do it. Yeah. I agree. I, I think I think sort of what you're saying. I think um, I think it's people's natural instinct to talk about taking a weakness and making a strength. I mean, it's a nice story. Obviously, we're all very frustrated with the weaknesses of this team. Um, you know, especially the secondary um, and a lot of us the turnovers too. But you know, I think it's it's nice to sort of take a look and, and talk about like we got to take this this terrible secondary and we've got to like completely redo it so that in a year we can listen to Chris Collinsworth and Alex Michaels talk about how they completely redid their secondary <laughs> and how it worked so well and I, and i think that's fine but i don't really know i don't really know that that's a smart use of resources it could be i mean there's certainly there's certainly nothing saying that it isn't but i mean okay so you have we have all these really bad players um so what's better than bad well a lot of things are better than bad average is better than bad and how much does average cost not that much you know, I think this is how you should look at how you spend your resources is you should just say, what is this going to cost me? What is this going to get me? Um, and, you know, we're just talking about like, look, you could go out and you could sp- sign a couple of guys for $2 million a year and they could outperform Kerry Williams and Bradley Fletcher. Yeah. And that, that would that would not be a stretch. That would not be hard to imagine at all. And then where do you where are you left? Well, you're left with an improved team and you spent four million dollars a year to do it, you know, as opposed to being like, well, we got to burn our first round pick on a safety. I don't care who it is. Um, and if we feel like the safety's a reach, rather than taking a different player, somebody who might be good, we should like try to pick up an extra fifth round pick and trade down to the second round to do it. You know, and this is this is the sort of thing that you see out there. And I just think this is a terrible use of resources. What you want to do is you want to focus on taking what resources you have and spending them wisely. You want to use premium resources on premium players, not on premium, you know, not on premium positions, not on like artificially premium positions. You want to spend premium resources on premium players. We have a couple of premium players here on the team. Um, Some of them are already getting premium resources, but there are going to be players out there who are awesome in this draft and we are going to get one and we're going to spend the first round pick and we're going to be like, yes, regardless (laughs) of what position he plays, we are going to be like, yes, we're all going to say it. Okay. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped because I feel like if you can do this right, you know, it's going to come out and a lot of people are going to be mad, but I think it's going to be the right thing to do, you know? And if that involves taking a, um, taking like a really stud offensive lineman, or if that involves taking a, you know, like a game breaking wide receiver or whatever, I think that that's, we're going to be psyched about it in a year and we're all going to be on there and we're going to say, well, I didn't like this at first, but now I do. And you know, that's fine. But, I think that you you just got to focus on is this guy worth what we're spending on him? And yeah, yeah, if the answer is no, then then move on. You know? That's why I don't care if if Byron Maxwell doesn't come here. To be honest with you, like you know, I mean, if he's really going to command that type of money, where it's where I don't know, seven to twelve million dollars or whatever it is, uh, he's not that worth. He's not worth that kind of money. You know, so what, whatever. Just I I agree with you, man. Just average doesn't cost that much, and you know, there's. Gary uh, is obviously not going to come back here, so there's a few guys that you know for two to three million dollars, I'd be all right with. And trust me, we're, I don't think any of us are advocating that you don't need to, you know, fix the secondary. It's a, it's an issue, but it's it's on the bottom rung. So you don't need I'm trying to go from one extreme, uh, just like Mike and Matt were both saying, of trying to make this thing like a complete turnaround is is really really hard to do. Um, 
and it's it's necessary. It needs to happen. I just think you can you can do better than average uh, with with a couple of couple of million dollars is, and you know sticking in Byron Maxwell in here. I don't know if that guarantees any kind of impact towards wins, but that's a debate we can uh, keep having in the off season. We want to switch to the Duncan Philly Hotline right now, as we have a few guests that we are very excited. Uh, to bring you right here on BGN Radio. Uh, we're going to be talking to the University of Northern Iowa running back, uh, Mr. David Johnson, as uh, Mike K uh, keeps feeding uh, my Midwestern flow here, and I'm, we're very excited to have him. We'll also be talking to Jameel Douglas, the offensive lineman uh, from Arizona State University. He's both played guard and tackle. We'll be chatting with him uh, just a little bit. But first and foremost, we'd like to welcome Mr. Greg Linton, who some of you uh, might know just from Twitter, at Agent Linton. Very open, very honest, very awesome guy. As uh, we welcome into the program from the Hall of Fame player representatives, the sports agent himself, Mr. Greg Linton. Greg, how are you? I'm tired. <laughs> Living the dream. Other than that, I guess I'll say fine. What about yourself? It's, it's, only, uh, it's only February. You're tired now. We're just getting into the, uh, into the good stuff. Uh, we're, doing, uh, we're, we're doing great, man. We appreciate your time here. But uh, y'all, y'all just now getting into the good stuff. We've been doing it since March. <laughs> yeah, see, exactly. Once it's, once it's done, the clock starts again. So, um, well, I mean, take us through that process. So let's say the, you know, the draft is finally done. Uh, everybody's pretty much situated with contracts and now like what do you do once you know players camps and contracts and all that stuff has been signed um after after may um then you start to get your your board together for for the next year's class that you're going to go after but then you also have to to keep your current vet on on standby um, you know, the NFL is a day-to-day thing, so you have to constantly monitor um, every other team that you don't have a player on at the position that you do have a player on just in case your guy has to be cut and then you have to know which which teams could, could use them so he can get picked back up pretty quickly, um, make sure that they stay healthy, make sure that they stay out of trouble. Well, this is just me because, you know, out of the 900-plus agents, 850 of them don't even talk to their players. So, But I'm making sure that they're not getting in any trouble, making sure that, you know, basically everything that they have, they only have to focus on football and not have to worry about anything else. Um making sure, like you said, the, the main part is if they don't make the team, you know, what's the next step? So you're constantly talking to different teams, constantly talking to different player personnel, people, different scouts, just in case your guy, you know, gets cut and he needs another opportunity. At the same time, putting your board together, meeting with the players for the following year, talking to different people about their background and stuff like that and going to visit them. Well, Greg, you know, you talked about that process of a guy possibly not making a team. You know, before we get into the draft prospect questions, what happens when a player is, let's say, cut during final cuts and, you know, he doesn't get claimed on waivers? What happens? What What's that like? Uh, ideally, if he has practice squad eligibility, you would want him to get resigned by the current team's practice squad or another team if they're if it's in a in – a, in a, uh, a better a better opportunity for him. Um, you pretty much, if you're doing your job, you pretty much know what's going to happen. You're talking to teams, you're talking to other players, and you're being realistic with your players and 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 your in yourself as an agent. So you already know if you think they're going to get cut or not. 
So then you can, you've already been working, talking to other teams. I don't, you know, I'm just being, you know, being honest with you. You're not supposed to, but you know, you get an idea. Everything's a hypothetical situation, so there's nothing set in stone. So you pretty much have an idea who's going to get cut, what teams can use them, what teams were interested in them before. So let's say, for an example, I have a corner who gets cut and we chose this one team over another team, but the, the facts on the team that that we didn't choose, they weren't doing too hot, and my guy's getting cut, so he might be a fit for that team. You know, just, just different examples like that. Um, once they always, if they're not immediately signed, and you get on the phones and you get on the emails and you get on your text messages and you start reaching out to people trying to get your guy in the camp. And so, and so, you know, after that process is done, and now let's say you're leading up to right now, and there, this is the thing I've noticed, and you can bank on it pretty much every year. There's always a couple of guys that you know, nobody's really talking about, and all of a sudden they just moonshot up up into the spotlight. And sometimes it's maybe it's you know that maybe that's the Senior Bowl, maybe that's the East West Shrine Game, or all uh, you know all that type of stuff. Are there any any? Trust me, you don't have to give all the way your your good uh, your good tips or anything, but. Uh, what is the best way to get you know your client up you know more more seem more attractive or you shoot them up somebody's mock draft board? Um, just um, giving them reasons on why they should be up there, or or you know maybe they haven't seen them. You know, up up to like two or three two months ago, you could search any rankings and you wouldn't have found Ryan Delaire on any of them. Um, but now, you know, now he's starting to look being, now he's being listed at sixth or seventh round draft pick and, and it'll probably shoot up again after the combine and stuff like that. Um, majority of these players that people are not talking about, um, people just don't know about. And it's really that simple or, or they know about them, but they don't, they, they, they second guess themselves. They say, oh, level of competition or he didn't do what he's supposed to do, or he didn't do that. And NFL teams get it wrong, too. Um, but, you know, the main thing is a lot of people just don't don't know the player and don't look at them and, and for whatever reason, won't, won't admit it. And with, yeah, with some of them, I, I don't know. I've heard, I've heard things from, uh, you know, rumor mills and, and stuff like that. Do you know of any agents that kind of grease, grease the hands of some of those TV guys to get them talking about, uh, you know, the one player or the next just to kind of, you know, fit them in there or give them certain gifts or try and make it as, you know, legal as possible? Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm not going to say per se gifts because, you know, I don't have any proof. But there's, there's always certain media guys, you know, national media guys who hype certain agents' prospects. It's not really a, a secret either once you sit back and think about it and look around and, 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 and you start to see a pattern. And once you put the pattern together, you can you can basically call BS on certain guys and stuff like that. You know, especially now, it's funny, you know, with the prop bets and stuff. And, and over the course of the last two, three years, you know, some of the big nine people have lost a lot of people a lot of money because they listen to these guys instead of, you know, really sticking by their guns or actually listen to to people who who I guess have no dog in the fight. I'm just gonna be honest with you because I don't have nothing to gain or nothing to lose about a guy. Even if it's my guy, I'd rather be honest than to than to be than to be you know just looked at wrong. But a lot of the national media guys they do they hype up guys for their agent friends and stuff like that, and 
they try to get get them, you know, up in the media, and and you, hopefully that an NFL team will come along and 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 try it, you know. And and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Greg, you, you know, something that's big that's talked about by like draft nicks online or couch scouts or even on ESPN, um, you know, about managing expectations of clients. You know, we all remember Jevin Sneed and him coming out as a junior when my, uh, Todd McShay was pitching him as a first or second round pick. What's it like to, you know, have a client who thinks he's a third round pick, but in reality, he's probably a sixth or a seventh round pick. How do you weigh that you know, with a client and, and in some ways be careful with that because you don't want to lose him because he thinks he's better than he is. Well, from the beginning, I don't, I don't sign players like that. Um, you know, none of my guys, the one thing I can say is, you know, I've never actually, I've never been fired by a player if they make it or not. And I'm most proud of that. A lot of these agents, they don't do nothing but just recycle people and they just, it's just a caravan of players. Um, the first thing I do when I recruit a player is I, I, I ask them to tell me their expectations. And if they're off, I tell them the truth. And if it's not reality, I won't sign them. I've actually lost five players this year because of that. Um, the second thing I do is, you know, once I do sign them, the first thing I tell them is to stay off the Internet. Don't Google your name. Don't go to any rankings. Don't go any draft sites. Don't do anything like that. I was like, it's pointless. There's no reason to do it. You're not going to do nothing but make yourself upset. Um, parents do it still, and they're just a headache to deal with. Well, this mock draft has my son going first, so you told me he's not going to get drafted. I'm like, you're right. Again, listen to me or listen to him. Um, the agents that do that, though, you know, it's they get they get fired. And each year, you can look at the top 60 players and who was supposed to go where. And after the draft, what happens? He fires his agent. Um, you know, you it's you know, it's interesting you brought up Michelle with Sneed, but you remember Nassib was supposed to go number one overall. You remember Savage was a top pick, a first rounder. Savage was uh, the guy, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you remember uh uh Barkley was supposed to go in the first round? I mean, yep. it, it's so funny, but it but yet and still and here's why I got mad last year, you see this happen every year, but then we still get riled up. When when someone says something about a guy, oh, you know, Kuiper said Jones would have been a second round pick. I'm like the same guy in January who said last year that so and so was going to be a first rounder and blah 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 and blah blah blah. But yet each January you still take it for what his word is. Like I'm like, like I, I kind of blame y'all for not going back and looking at the year before. Yeah, you know when y'all say stuff, I'll be like, dog, like really. Didn't you just say that last year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that? And that at some point you would think y'all would be like, well, I'm not going to believe him right now because uh, it's just so preposterous, you know. It just doesn't make sense. And, you know, for people listening at home, Greg is probably one of the greatest follows you can have on Twitter. Uh, you can follow him at, at Agent Linton, L-I-N-T-O-N. And he'll tell you well, stuff like you, this. Sir. This is yeah, man, he'll tell you stuff like this. I mean, I, you know, Greg and I have had some pretty great conversations, and uh, he's always honest. And you know, let me ask you this, Greg: What happens when, let's say, you're off and you think you know your kid's going to be a fifth round pick, and they go undrafted? What's that like? What's the conversation there? Um, if you happen to see uh, late rounders, you know, there was a situation. Well, hell, I was in a situation like that last year. The, the one thing you have to realize, again, you know, you have to understand the agent. 
in my case, when you get to, you know, if he's supposed to be, when, when you say fifth round, sixth round, seventh round, there's no round. You know, fifth or seventh, that, that's not really a, 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 a round per se. There's no grade. You know, you can have a wide receiver that you like, that you want on the board. You got him graded as a, a in the way the board works, let's say if he's a fifth round draft pick, then what you're saying is they have him as a fifth. So the way the NFL board works, let's say if they have a guy on their board that's a third, and now it comes to the fifth round, they're going to draft the third rounder. So then your guy drops down. So if they have him as a sixth, and there's a guy on the board who's a fourth or a fifth, they're going to draft that guy. And your guy's just going to get dropped down some more. Um, if you're a late-round draft pick, you're, you're a free agent in my eyes, and I prepare you as if you're going to be a free agent. You know, last year we had a guy who was going to get drafted in the seventh, and, you know, we was like, we told the team, we're not really comfortable with them drafting my guy because they had drafted three other players at that same position. So we would rather take our chances in free agency than to be drafted by that particular team. Most agents would just take the guaranteed 30, 40 grand and not look at the long-term picture of the situation. And do you prefer a guy that, you know, uh, would get picked in the seventh round? Or would, you know, at that point, is it easier that he's a UDFA, an unrestricted free agent? Um, Everyone really prefers the draft, but it depends on the situation that he's going into. Like, let's say we got a a wide receiver who's going to be drafted in the seventh round, but the team has four wide receivers under contract who are all playing well, and they only carry five, and they already drafted two. We wouldn't want my wide receiver going to that team. But let's say it's a team like Indianapolis who, you know, Wayne's going to be gone. They don't really have another star. They have a couple of younger guys, and they drafted one or two wide receivers in the seventh. Then, yes, I would like to go to that team because I like my chances against my guy against those guys. So each individual player – it, it should be looked upon as as an individual uh, situation, and and you, if you approach it that way, you'll be more successful in this business as if you just generalize it. Greg, you're coming up on free agency, and that's a big time, obviously, for agents. You know, uh, you're a guy that represents a pretty big uh, group of, uh, well, not a pretty big group of free agents, but you have multiple free agents. This year, how do you handle those negotiations when a guy's coming off their rookie contract and hitting the open market? Um, <laughs> uh, you you got to stand your stand your ground and know your worth. Um, you don't want to price your guy out of an opportunity, um, and you just have to basically shop around but know when to buy. You know, it's kind of like, you know, like you're day trading. Um, when when a price comes along that you're comfortable with, then you take that price. If you hold out too long, you the, 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 the contract might be gone, the offer might be pulled, and then you're fired. And then not only are you fired, they might file an arbitration grievance against you or something like that. But if you take a deal where you could have gotten more, then other agents are going to go after your other guys. Oh, this agent sucks. He didn't get this player this. He didn't get this player that. So before we go into these negotiations, 
from the moment the season's over with, you meet with your free agents and you know the expectations you have to, you know, how much would you take and give them the the, the average players at their position and say, you know, this is the amount of money that, you know, we should expect. Anything over this is a plus. But, you know, we want to get it done, et cetera, et cetera. So after you have that conversation with your players, you then monitor the whole market. You know, I have a D-tackle this year. So, yes, I'm, I, I really hope the Lions resign Sue, and I hope the Dolphins resign Hodrick. You know, I, I'm keeping these things, you know, we have to and make sure, you know, that when the time comes, we already know which teams we're going to target and which teams we think are going to target us because it has to be a fit. The money is going to take care of itself. We just have to get the fit and then the best situation for them. Greg Linton uh, from the Hall of Fame Players Representatives. Uh, you know, his, again, Twitter handle is at uh, Agent Linton. Uh, very opinionated, outspoken, and kind of awesome on his profile. I think that's the best way to describe him. We thank you so much for joining us right here on BGN Radio, my friend. Anytime, anytime. Appreciate it. I, I think we need to have Greg on almost, well, when when especially during free agency, I think it would be great to pick his brain we gotta I thank him so much for coming on because it's not too often that you have sports agents that are as as open and opinionated uh as greg so thank you again for uh coming right along here and now joining us on the duncan philly hotline we have asu offensive lineman jamil douglas how you doing jamil i'm doing great how about you thanks for ha- uh coming on with us um you know you're coming off a terrific career at asu where you played guard and mm-hmm. tackle um, you're a really versatile guy that, uh, you know, for the people at home that haven't watched you, you've got one of the quickest steps off the line. I, I, I can recall in an offensive lineman who's played multiple positions. Um, you know, you're mm-hmm. coming off of 40 straight starts at Arizona state, uh, a couple of packed, uh, pack 12 honors, uh, an all academic honor as well. Um, can you mm-hmm. kind of talk about your career at ASU and what made you choose ASU? Um, I mean, I was, well, I was originally committed to, uh, University of Utah, um, they were my first offer, but, um, you know, Coach, Coach Erickson, um, Coach Smith came, came and visited me at my home, and, you know, it, it was it was pretty hard to turn down a guy like Coach Erickson when you, when you look at his resume and, and the things that he's been able to accomplish. So, you know, I just I just felt really good about, about that coaching staff and about their situation. So, um, I mean, I switched my commitment, and you know, that next week I was I was out there on an official visit and, and I knew it was where I wanted to be. You got in a little trouble early on in your college career. Can you kind of talk about that? I know there was like a, a, a short-term suspension by Coach Erickson. And what went into all of that? Can we get your side of the story? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I was arrested for a suspicion of second-degree burglary. Um, it's a, a situation that, you know, I shouldn't have put myself in. Um, you know, I was, I was young and made a, made a mistake. But, you know, with that being said, it is something that, I truly think it shaped me into the person that I am today. I think when when that happened, it it made me grow up faster and it made me appreciate the the opportunities that that I had. Well, and, you know, for the people listening at home, you've been the model teammate ever since. You've been terrific in in both the classroom and on the field. You've been elected a co-captain at ASU. Can you talk about how, you know, that has kind of developed your you into the man that you you've become and kind of given you a better sense of how you've developed your leadership to younger guys since you've been through that situation. Um, well, it, honestly, it just made me, it just made me want to want to be that guy. Um, you know, you, you get in trouble and you know, the, the first thing you hear is, you know, he's, 
he's not going to be able to come back from this or things like that. And, and it made me want to prove people wrong. It made me want to be that guy in the classroom that, that was at the top of his class or, or the guy on the field that people respected. So, um, you know, when I was when I was given the opportunity to come back, I, I came back with with you know hunger hunger on my mind and and being humble because you know that it was something that was taken away from me and it was something that I felt that I could have had a completely different um, you know turnaround once I put my mind to it. You had a quarterback change, a pretty dramatic quarterback change during the season when you went from Taylor Kelly to Berkovici. How did that affect your blocking style? How did that affect your game? Is there was there a difference between blocking for one and the other? Um, well, everyone knows that they're both different quarterbacks. Um, they both had different styles. You know, Taylor, Taylor likes to get outside the pocket a little more and you know use his legs to make plays, and and Bergevich is more of the guy that, that stands in the pocket. So you know, to, I mean, it didn't really change how we approach things. We we always want to keep whoever's back there. We want to keep them upright and and you know make them comfortable so that they're able to, to develop um, throughout the throughout the play and and make a play for us. So you know we the, the whole thing for us was just protecting whoever was back there. You know ASU has kind of become a, a school that's been producing a ton of NFL talent. You know last year you had Marion Grice and Will Sutton and Carl Bradford who we had on the program. Mm-hmm. You know uh, Alden Darby was in a training camp last year. Uh, before that, you, I mean, you've got plenty of guys for El Suggs, Todd Heap, all those guys. What about right. ASU has, has been able to develop and recruit these great talents out of California, such as yourself? Um, I mean, I think when guys commit to ASU, they, they understand the, the tradition. Not, not many people know about the tradition either, but you know, it's a, it's a hard working tradition. You got, you got to be tough to, to be at ASU. There's no, there's no, um, guys that, at our program that aren't tough and aren't willing to, to work for everything they have. So, you know, with that being said, once Coach Graham and, and his staff were able to, you know, get their hands on us, we, we went to work. And, and you know, we, we believe that we have some of the best players in the country there, and I, and I think that's true. It's been uh, – I reported the other day that uh, you had been talking to – you had talked to the Eagles at the Senior Bowl. What was that like? And as a guy from the Pac-12 who ha- who's been able to see Chip Kelly's offense firsthand – was that an exciting opportunity for you? How do you think you could fit into an offense like that? Oh, it definitely was exciting. Um, you know, just to speak to any team, regardless of who it was, is exciting. So, um, but I, you know, it's I, I feel like I could I could fit into any type of scheme that that any coach wants me to play. And of course, you know, they're a zone type of scheme, which is what I ran in college. But you know, we um, down at the Senior Bowl, we ran a completely different scheme and. And I think I, I performed well in that, so so it was it was definitely exciting. Uh, you know, I wrote a piece reviewing the Senior Bowl, and I talked about you being one of the real standout offensive linemen. You have experience at guard and tackle. Is there a certain position that you like to be, whether it's right guard, left guard, left tackle, right tackle, that you think you'd be excel at most in the NFL? Um, I mean, I don't have a preference to be honest. Um, you know, when I I started two years at left guard, and I thought, you know, that was the best position for me. And then, you know, it was presented to me to, to move out to left tackle. And so with that opportunity, I think I made the most of that being able to accomplish first team all conference. So, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I've grown to like both positions and, you know, I feel comfortable at each one. There's no one that I can say, uh, this is where I need to be because I, I truly feel comfortable at both. Is there an offensive lineman in the NFL that you model your game after? Um, Not really model my game after because I, I feel like, you know, every offensive lineman is different. They they come in all different shapes and sizes. And, um, but I do watch a lot of film on guys, um, guys like Jeff Allen, 
um, who I've had a chance to sit down with and talk to, um, Sean Laval, um, you know, Chance Warmack, guys like that. I definitely watch a lot of film on them to, to be able to take bits and pieces from their game and try to implement it into mine. And, you know, just to get you out on this, what does being a leader on offense mean to you? Oh, it means a lot, you know, especially being on the offensive line. Typically, you know, your leader on offense is your quarterback or, you know, your big-time receiver or running back. Um, but, you know, for, for a guy to, to be on the offensive line and, and be able to voice his opinion and have people respect him, it, it's big because, you know, it plays, plays a huge role. Your offensive line is the toughness of your team. Well, and that, thanks for joining us, Jamil. We appreciate you and wish you the best of luck in the Combine and heading into the NFL Draft. Hopefully we'll be able to talk to you after the Combine and understand your experience there as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Appreciate it. Definitely. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. And joining us right now on the Duncan Philly Hotline as we keep uh, the uh, draft prospects uh, all in one place, and we like to get to know them here right here on BleedingGreenNation.com. We welcome David Johnson running back from the University of Northern Iowa. David, how are you today? I'm doing very good, having a good time down in Pensacola, Florida. The Pensacola, excellent. How's, uh, how's the weather down there? Probably much better than uh, than the uh, the Clinton, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's about 60 today, so I haven't seen any snow, and today we're, getting, we're even getting a little sun, so Beautiful. can't complain. Beautiful. Well, yeah, as an Iowa guy myself, I, I think that – uh, Mike K is just setting me up here for basically guys that have uh, had great games against the University of Iowa, and you certainly did that. Uh, Two hundred three yards uh, in the air, um, you know, had a really tough uh, battle right down to the end of the fourth quarter and all that good stuff. Coming from you know the the smaller schools and, and things like that, do you think that uh, what what kind of what made you go to University of Northern Iowa versus like Iowa State or Iowa or anything else that's uh, in state there. Well, uh, going to some of the visits, it felt like you and I was a, a great fit for me. I talked to a guy that was on my high school team, and he um, just introduced me to a lot of guys. And I took the the um, official visit, and it just felt like it was a good atmosphere with being in the dome and uh, just meeting some of the players and, and and meeting some of the coaches and interacting with them guys. And then I talked to one of the group leaders in our Christian uh, Bible study, and he was just a great guy. And, I just felt like it was a um, uh, a home away from home place, so uh, that was probably one of my biggest choices, and I felt like I made a great choice. David, uh, you know your running style is very uh, unique. You know you're basically like a wide receiver playing running back. You know uh, you've got phenomenal hands. Uh, Obviously, John brought up the huge uh, receiving performance in Iowa. Um, I know you played running back in DB in in high school when you were a basketball player. How has you know, all those added elements of your size and your experience coming into college helped you perform at such a high level. It's definitely made me a more versatile player, especially as a running back and able to catch. It keeps the defense on their toes, especially on third downs. And they have another receiver to worry about, essentially, and me coming out of the backfield. And they can't just put a, a lot of teams don't just put a linebacker on me, which they end up putting another safety or another guy, which opens up the field even more for other receivers for the quarterback to throw to. You know, in midway through your season, uh, you had a quarterback change, and I'm just curious: is that? I mean, how much does that affect uh, your, your running style? You're running, you know, you had one guy that was a little more mobile, kind of maybe fit the running game system a little more. Does that affect the way uh, your uh, your running game uh, has changed at all throughout the year? It hasn't affected it much. Uh, the read option is more of a, a thing when the, with the fast running back and keeping the defense, especially the ends on their toes. 
but it hasn't affected me much. Um, not too much because even in high school, we had the same way with our quarterback. We did a little bit of re-option. So, um, I was kind of used to it coming out of high school and, um, they, they both played well. They both had their strengths, um, in, in our offense with Cole Morgan and Karn. So, I mean, it was just fun just, um, playing with both of them. It was a, a good experience. And, you know, John and I have watched your tape, and, you know, for people at home that haven't watched you play, you're proficient in pretty much everything. You've got, as we mentioned, great hands. Um, you know, you ran for over 4,500 yards at Northern Iowa, scored 49 rushing touchdowns. Uh, you even took on kick returner as a senior and, and ran one back for a touchdown. What, um, is there anything you won't do, I mean, you know, and, and excel at? Uh, uh, I just try to do everything to my best, wherever coach asks me to do or wherever I can be on the field as many times as I can and whatever I can help, whatever I can do to help the team. And it's just fun to be so versatile and having the ability to do so many other things. It's uh, it's a fun thing to just have more experience at everything, especially um, if I make it to the league. A lot of teams actually talk to me about being more versatile and they can um, ask me to do other stuff on the field and I mean, if either way that I can get on the field, I'd love to try. And, and uh, if I do good at it, uh, it helps me out a lot of being on the field and um, being effective for the team. And speaking of that, it's such a, you know, a lot of a lot of people think this is a great running back draft class and you're a part of it. Um, do you think that versatility kind of helps you stand out a little bit? Um, do, you know, do you feel that there's anything more uh, that you need to do leading up to the draft process to maybe stick out a little more? Uh, the versatility definitely helps me out. A lot of coaches have been telling me that that's one of my strengths is being versatile, out of the, especially on third downs. When, and then uh, uh, a lot of these NFL teams are changing to a lot of uh, uh, throwing and catching running backs. So it's definitely helped me out a lot, especially in this era of uh, NFL with some of the, the running backs being, more, being able to catch better and, and uh, doing pass throw and everything. So it's definitely helped me out. And um, I think that uh, just – one of the things that I get talked to a lot is just my level of competition that I've played playing at UNI, a small school. And me playing in senior ball is definitely, uh, feel like I, it definitely has risen my draft stocks because I was able to play with those guys and compete. So, um, I'm just, um, just trying to get better day by day and uh, hopefully uh, a team calls me on draft day. You know, you brought up the senior bowl. Um, two of the things you really showed during that game is your, your vision and your ability to be shifty. Um, what do you think is your biggest takeaway from the Senior Bowl week of practices and that game? Uh, the week of practices uh, that I think I take away was that I was able to compete with them, especially like in pass pro and one-on-ones with the linebackers. I was able to be some linebackers and able to just um, go out there and show that I can play with, with, that, with top-level seniors, especially with all the seniors that made to the Senior Bowl. It wasn't just playing in college games. In D1 teams, they were playing against all the top athletes that were seniors in the in the nation. So, um, and then also just uh, playing to that to that in the game and being versatile. When I was playing, they put me on uh, all the special teams, and I was able to be effective there. And um, just anywhere that the coaches would need me, and so I would I would love to try it out and hopefully excel at it. Uh, you know, David, while we're still on the subject of the Senior Bowl, what was it like to do the weigh-in? You know, you're a guy who who's bigger, but you're also a little bit, you know, you're you're uh, like a thinner guy. Um, what was it like to go through that process, stand in front of a bunch of grown men in your underwear, and essentially 
figure out how actually how tall you are. Uh, it was it was good. Um, my size actually was one of my biggest things. Is uh, I, I was a taller running back, but I was also it wasn't like I was skinny. I was I was a bigger bigger guy. And, um, when we was walking, when I was walking on the stage, I kind of just didn't try to look at the crowd. So <laughs> just try to stare at one thing. Uh, out out in the crowd, if I had to, I wasn't trying to look around. I was just um just enjoying the experience. I mean. Not a lot of guys got the opportunity to, to be there, so I was definitely blessed of, of going there. You know, it's curious. When um, Do you do a ton of, of self-scouting, too, just to kind of find out what you need to improve on most? Um, and do you have any things that, you know, you think stick out in your game that you need to work on right now? Um, I do do a lot of ton of um, self-scouting, especially um, when we play a team and we lose. I just try to look at what I did wrong. And, um, right now, I... Uh, I feel like there's just a little bit of things with uh, learning um, pass, pass protection pickups. I, I'm pretty well at it, but I mean, I feel like I can always get better in in every every type of um, aspect when it comes to football. And uh, I feel like just uh, being able to be the quarterback on the field, being able to know exactly what to reach um, when you're looking at a defense and why the quarterback audible or why the quarterback uh, chose the guy to be the uh, mic or the blitz pickup. And when I look at your tapes and stuff like that, I mean, for me, and of course I'm completely biased on this, but the, the, I think you would be a, a great fit for the Eagles offense. Is that something that would that you would you know are, are, would be attracted to? Is there anybody else in the NFL that you think you would fit in? A, a, you know, better, worse, et cetera, less something like that. Uh, I just want the, the the chance to play on any team. I mean, I don't really care. Uh, just give me a chance, any team. And, uh, I'd love to play for the Eagles. It, it'd be fun. Um, they have a similar uh, style offenses we did in college, so it wouldn't be hopefully it wouldn't be too hard to pick up on that offensive scheme. But um, right now, I, I I don't really care what team I, I play for as long as I, I get the ability or the chance to make it. Awesome. Well, David Johnson, uh, running back from the University of Northern Iowa, we appreciate uh, all your time with us right here on BGN Radio, my friend. Thank you, thank you. It was a good time. A big thank you to uh, not only David Johnson but uh, also to uh, Jamil Douglas and. Greg Linton for all joining us uh, on this episode 82 of BGN Radio. Um, again, another jam-packed show, almost uh, just under an hour here. And uh, that is all credit to uh, Mike K for uh, gathering all these wonderful guests for us uh, each and every week. So we're going to keep you busy all throughout the offseason. February is kind of the, the dead zone as we uh, march our way on down to free agency. But, uh, you know, thanks again for, for obviously listening. And for myself, John Barchard, for Mike Kay, for Matt Daring, we thank you so much for listening to this episode of BGN Radio right here on BleedingGreenNation.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. You've been listening to BGN Radio right here on BleedingGreenNation.com. Fueled by Duncan Philly and part of the Liberty Broadcast Network.